0: Welcome to the How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your
1: host. Welcome to this episode of the How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Andrew Oliman. Andrew, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. It's great to be here.
1: Looking forward to this conversation. We've never done a dive on this topic, But for all of you listening, thinking this might be too technical, I'm going to keep it from a business owner's perspective, I promise. But Andrew's going to share, certainly before that, his diverse entrepreneurial journey, and then his insights and tips on domain names. Domain names, for those of you who may not know what the heck that means, that's that website address that we have that people type in or find to get to our website online. So those are called domains. And so from a business owner's perspective, we're going to explore why that matters, how to think about it. I think this applies whether you're looking to start your first business and thinking about names for your business and what about the website. And also if you have an existing business and you have a domain that you own and you need to protect or you need to manage, I think you'll get some takeaways from that as well from this conversation rather if you're an existing business owner as well. To receive more information about the How Business, including links to the show notes page for this episode, and how you can continue to support my show and receive exclusive content and discounts through a Patreon membership. Please visit theHowabusiness.com. So let me tell you a little bit more about Andrew. Andrew Oliman is the founder of podcastguests.com. It's a platform that connects podcasters like myself with guests for their show. I've used podcastguests.com myself. And he's also the publisher of Domain Name Wire. Domain Domain Name Wire is a trade publication for the domain name industry that has been cited by the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, and NPR. It really is a resource, quite the resource, the website as well, for all things domains. Andrew lives in the Seattle, Washington area. So once again, Andrew, welcome
0: to the show. Thank you. I'm I'm excited to talk about domain names today.
1: I know who would think, right,
0: that that would be something somebody would be excited <laughs> to talk about. <laughs> I, I I write a blog about it and I post multiple times a day, and people are like, "What?" I know it's <laughs> such a geek geek fest,
1: right? But I'm there with you. It's it's, a, it's right. an interesting topic, and it's such a critical business asset for most of us now as business owners, right?
0: Right. Yeah, it shouldn't be an afterthought. And unfortunately, a lot of people make it an afterthought. But you know, when you start a business, you're thinking, what's the name of the business? And then what's the associated domain name? So it's certainly critical.
1: Absolutely. But before we dive into that, I just want to understand your your journey, how you got to where you are. You studied finance in school, if I got that right.
0: I think you went to
1: UT, did you not?
0: That's yeah, the, University yeah. of Texas uh, at Austin. That's yeah, right.
1: Great business school there that you graduated from. And so tell me about your early career and what, what that looked like.
0: Well, so I graduated in 2000, which for those that are, are old enough to remember, that was kind of right at the peak of the dot com boom. Sure you know, we, we had months left. Right. And so um, I always thought I'd go into banking or consulting, but there was a, a tech company in Austin that was um, hiring lots of, lots of students from, uh, around the country. And I got into that and I, I really had the com bug, right? I mean, it was, it was the thing to do. It was the easy riches, but it, or we thought, um, but it was also the, you know, it just kind of got me excited in the morning, right. To, um, to get up and work on internet related things. It felt like there was so much possibility. And, um, at the time, you know, being a full-time entrepreneur, uh, that wasn't something a lot of people did right out of college, too. I know it's the thing now, but it was expensive to start a company back then. And there really wasn't that entrepreneurial culture uh, that we have now. So went to work for, for a tech company for a while, um, and then the dot-com bust happened, and that company kind of imploded. Um, and so I ended up in a Fortune 500 world for a while.
1: Yes, around that time when I was working for one of those startups called Ariba, which actually did oh, yeah. very did very well with the IPO. But then, you know, we, we suffered along with everybody. But they sure. did survive and got acquired by SAP. But I obviously understand completely. I just by that point I was I was I'm older than you, but it's interesting to look back that even seemingly that not that long ago, that was still the expected track, especially because of the allure of the everything that was going
0: on in the internet world. Yeah. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, it was, uh, I, I'm glad, it, you know, one of my other job offers out of college was amazon.com. Um, oh, that little thing. Yeah. That little thing. And, you know, people, people say, Oh man, if you'd taken that job, how would your life have been different? And, and I, I remind them, I'm like, you know, Amazon went through some dark years. After the .com bust. You know, who knows if I would have been there, you know, or I sold my shares cheap and that sort of thing as they were tanking. So, you know I, I don't know if it would have been much different yeah no i agree uh, we we you,
1: it's so hard to cuz you know, so many of those supposed opportunities were there you know like i remember vividly at the time we were exploring, how do we make our search capability better? And Google was a fledgling little thing that, that was, was searching for the next round of funding. And, and right. I think, well, shoot, you know, we may well, because we had talked to them and maybe, you know, what if we had partnered with them and they would, you know, but this just, it doesn't matter. You can't go down those paths, right. but you right. did develop, you started to develop, if I'm finding the thread here, this interest in all things IP and so tell me about what led you to, I think your first business would, was Fluid Innovation Group, correct? Or did I miss it?
0: Yeah, I would say that was my first real business, right? Yeah. You know, I've been, I've had the entrepreneurial bug for a long time, but not on a on a big scale. And so I was working at what's now AT&T. Um, and I was working in an intellectual property group, we were commercializing software or trying to, um, that was built, Internally, for internal purposes, and we try to find a software partner to take the technology and develop it into a product that other companies could use. And so that's what kind of led me to my first business is my boss said, you know, why don't we go do this on our own? It's kind of difficult to do this for one company. What if we were able to go out and tap into a bunch of different companies' software IP, internally built software, and, and commercialize that? Um, and so that led to kind of that first business um, and that one uh, learned a lot from it. I wouldn't say it was successful, um, but uh, l- learned a lot from that process for sure.
1: The, you had to close it down or shut it down at some point in time?
0: Yeah, eventually. I, I left after a few years. Um, I, I think eventually the company was sold, but the investors didn't get their money back. So I would not look at that as a success
1: despite that you know sometimes what that does to people is it says you know what I tried it let me go back to the quote-unquote safety of the corporate world mm-hmm. uh, how did mm-hmm. you think back to that and how did you respond to it
0: yeah I you know once I got out of the corporate world there was really no going back for me um, you know I I, I know that the moment I wanted to leave was, uh, it kind of when you in big companies, you'd have meetings about meetings, you'd have pre meetings, <laughs> get prepared for meetings, which was frustrating. And I remember driving to work one day and I was kind of speeding along on the road. And I'm like, why am I speeding to work? I'm not excited to get there. Right. And, and so that for me was kind of the moment I was like, you know, th- this just, I, I need to do something different. Is I, that I before,
1: find- before Fluid Innovation Group? or That was
0: before. I, before yeah, yeah. 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 That was, that, that was kind of like, I was like, I, I, I've got to change something. I, uh, I, I need to do something different. Um, and so, you know, and at that time too, I'd been doing stuff on the web on the side, you know, that was still an exciting time, you know, with domain names and and content sites and you know, frankly, there were days I made more money online while I wasn't doing anything right sleeping or at work, then I was making working, right. And, yeah. and that just didn't make much sense to me too.
1: Right. So, so there, obviously, I hear this interest in how how do you end up so hyper focused on domains, but but did the Domain expertise and turning that into business come before the podcasting. Which which came first?
0: Yes, the domains for sure. And okay. so, you know, if you rewind a little bit, when I was in college in the late nineties, I started registering domain names, ah. and yeah, so I would felt redis- that was
1: a real estate opportunity online that there was exactly. green fields at that point.
0: It, it was Greenfields, but you, you know, I, I will say, I mean, there were already domains selling for millions of dollars at wow. that time, right? This is the, the late 90s. Yeah, yeah, the, the
1: obvious old- ones, certainly. Um-
0: Yeah. I mean, all all the, in retrospect, they weren't taken, but we always said all the good domains are taken. Right. But but they weren't,
1: but yeah, but it seemed like they were. At the time
0: it was single digit millions of dot coms that were registered. Now they're like 160 million dot coms registered. So clearly that wasn't the case, but so I started registering domains and I would build out little websites around them. I sold a couple of these websites on eBay for like thousands of dollars, not. Tens of thousands of dollars, but while I was in college, so I had always kind of had this this bug. And then about the time that I started Fluid Innovation Group, I was working on a parallel thing that I ended up not doing, and instead did Fluid. Um, but you know, it, it was you know, it's a geek thing, right? It's an niche mm-hmm. thing, but I loved um, writing about it, talking about it, that sort of thing. So I started this blog that was always kind of in the background when I was working on that startup. And then a few years later, when I left, it moved to the foreground, right? Because companies started reaching out, asking if they could advertise and that sort of thing. So, yeah, the domain name stuff definitely came before the podcast. Stuff. Yeah. And then you became an authority
1: on that topic. And then then just as an aside, let's go, go there. You married another geek as well, didn't you? <laughs>
0: Yeah, my, my wife is a, a tech journalist, and she has her own podcast about the, the internet of things. So things like Alexa, uh, well, actually, I shouldn't say that out loud. I might set some things off. <laughs> Amazon's Echo devices and Google's devices and, and all the smart home type stuff and smart industry uh, as well.
1: Yeah, that's wonderful. All right. So um, you've got that established. What, how did your interest in podcasting come around?
0: Well, it it really fed out of that, and that was, um, I was writing about domain names, so I said, why not talk about domains? And podcasting is obviously Mm -hmm. a very different medium, like we are today, we're going in-depth on topics, whereas on blogs, you know, people drive by, they read a couple articles, and then they're gone, podcasting is a, a long form. And I was like, well, why don't I start a domain name podcast? Um, which people again might be scratching their heads, thinking, "Really, a podcast about domain names?" But uh, that's what I did, and and that's where my interest and in podcasting came from. Um, and then that's kind of where PodcastGuests.com came from, because after about a year, I was like, "Okay, I've tapped my rolodex, I've talked to lots of interesting people. How do I find new people for my show?" And, and there was no free, easy way to find them, so I decided to create it. Yeah a couple of things I take from this one is that the value of
1: niching down, especially it's something that I advocate for when we're starting a business. So you, you're mm-hmm. a perfect example of that, where you found these niche opportunities where you had interest and made a business out of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think if I had gone higher level, I would have been a small fish in a, in a big sea, right? And right? It would have been very difficult to, to create uh, the, the authority, right? And, and frankly, you know, and I tell people this all the time when they're trying to get as guests on podcasts, right? And they're like, I'm a business coach. I'm like, okay, that's really broad. How can you appeal to someone where they're like, you are my person, right? Because maybe you're the business coach for dentists or something like that, right? That's right. Absolutely. Um, and it's like, well, I'm a dentist. That's perfect. That's so much better than everyone else. So yeah, good. Narrowing down your focus, I think super important. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. So you've got, you're a perfect example, also someone who has multiple businesses. <laughs> yeah. Any thoughts or tips on how you balance your time and energy
0: across those? Yeah, it's a good question. And, and I see, you know, I having a couple, actually, I'd say I have three. So I've got the podcast guest business, I have the domain name wire, and then I help my wife on, on the business side of hers, because she's, she's a journalist, not a business person, or at least she, she thinks so. But Right. It, it is difficult. And I have friends like this too. I have a good friend who uh, he, one of his businesses is he sells onions on the internet, believe <laughs> it or not. But then he also has like four or five different really disparate businesses. And, and this is something we talk about a lot. Um, I'd like to say I'm really good at compartmentalizing and setting time aside for each. But really, if you look at my day, I open my email and it's like, here's the fire hose, right? Podcasts, domain names, you know, story pitches, support requests, that sort of thing. At the same time, I really enjoy, I like, I, I enjoy opening up my email in the morning because I'm like, what's the opportunity today, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so I wouldn't say I'm great at compartmentalizing those things, but it's, it's, if you set task lists for yourself, if you're like, okay, this is what I need to work on today, that makes it a lot easier And, um, you know, and and I would say from a, from the people who say, follow me on Twitter, they know I'm into both of these things. So I've got a little bit of both, um, in there, um, but, but it is difficult, right. And it's not something I'd suggest to people as a general practice. Um, but you know, for a lot of people that are trying to get out from underneath the corporate umbrella, um, you kind of need to juggle several balls. And so that might be that you're working on a business and you're also doing consulting to make ends meet. Right. Right. Um, and you know, that that's an important skill to, to have, um, to, to really get started. Agreed. Yeah.
1: I'm challenged with the same thing. And I agree with you that the advice I would give someone getting started is focus on, we just said it niche down. Right. Right. But the reality is I I'm like you, I call it shiny object syndrome. And so it's, it can be positive, but it can also be negative. Do right. you do any type of time blocking when you plan out your week, uh, especially as you're maybe developing a new component or idea or how we're going to move the business forward? Do you block out time for a specific business on, during your week or is it still? Um, on you the know, daily
0: basis? I, I, I was going to say no, but in some ways, yes, because I have deliverables, right? So for podcastguest.com, I have a newsletter that goes out Mondays and Thursdays. So I need to block time the day before. Um, to go through and get that ready. I, you know, I have someone who helps me with it, but I need to get that out. My podcast goes out on Monday. So I block some time Friday to record the intro to it, get it over to my editor, that sort of thing. But really it's, it's more of a day to day kind of thing where it's like, okay, I need to spend an hour this week, uh, an hour today doing this. Or, you know, my first thing in the morning is I need to get a story or two up on domain name wire. Got it. What, what kind of help do you have now? So ninety uh, percent of it's me, but I do have a a uh, contractor who helps me with the podcast guest business, doing a lot of the um, getting those emails together because they take quite a bit of time managing the podcasters as we get ready to feature them, that sort of thing. And then I have outsourced development for for my websites because that's not I'm I'm non technical. Um, to a degree. So I have people that manage that for me. So if I have any issues on the websites, it's like, okay, here's who I reach out to, to do that. Wonderful. So what
1: does being a boss, you know, we, we touched on it. You had early aspirations to it. You've been your own boss for some time. What, what does it do for you? What does that provide you today?
0: Well, a lot of it's freedom, right? Uh, You know, I I've got my day and although I might not block it out, I I can do what I want with it. Right. It's entirely up to me. So I like to, I don't know if you've ever played the game pickleball. I was Um,
1: just starting to, it is everybody's playing it. So everybody's playing and I I loved it. I love it. I'm I'm looking to get more into it, but I just
0: started. But but to me, what's great is if someone says, Hey, you want to go play pickleball and it's two in the afternoon, I could say, yeah, you know, I don't have any obligations to anyone to show up for meetings, that sort of thing. And so, and if I want to spend time with my kid, You know, I do that when I want to do it. So for me, that it provides me with freedom. Um, It also gives me creativity. And I feel like everything I'm doing adds value to it, right? Which when you're working for someone else, it feels like a lot of what you're doing doesn't necessarily add value, especially if it's at a big company. Yeah, well, well said. Those things resonate with me as well.
1: All right. Let's dive into it. This thing called domain names from a small business owner's perspective. Right, Help me introduce what a domain name is and why I should
0: care about as a a small business owner. Sure. So a lot of people um, think of these as web addresses. You You might hear web address, domain name, but it's basically that address that people type into their browsers to get to our website. So For podcastguests.com, it's podcastguests.com. You type that in and you go there. And and these were created as a simpler way to navigate around the web because what that's really doing is it's going to a computer. It's saying, oh, here's where that website is. And that's a series of numbers. But it's difficult to remember a series of numbers, right? That's why people turn phone numbers into letters, right? Because that's easier. And so domain names just make it simpler to do that. But they become... This identity, right? So, for a lot of companies, their domain name is their business name. Amazon.com, for example, and, and so they're a very important part of business too. But at, in a nutshell, that's what a domain name is.
1: Yeah, well, very clearly explained. Yes, that address, but but that last part is so critical as well because it is for a lot of us a component of our brand. How right. people find us. So, just like you know, your location, physical location, might be important. Your online location is important. Mm-hmm. to reach new customers, to serve existing customers, all of those things. Uh, and again, th- that number you're referring to, I think, is, is typically referred to as an IP address. And that That's right. know, nobody can remember that. because it's Yeah, a long I of mean, numbers. if I gave
0: you, oh, check out domain name yeah. wire at 173. You know, you're, you're going to lose it at that yeah, point. Yeah, I'm going to lose it, yeah.
1: And it's going to have no, no uh, connection with my brand. It doesn't say anything except exactly. for a bunch of numbers. So let's start with maybe some general at high level rules, and then we're going to come back to this as we converse, but some general rules about selecting a domain, and we touched on it when we opened, you know, for me right now, when I'm developing a new business or helping somebody develop a new business, after you've begun the brainstorming on your business name, um, and I've had different people on the show talk about this, you, you don't want to restrict yourself initially in that brainstorming session, but at some point, When you've got some finalists, you got to make sure the domain is available, I think. But what are some general rules for selecting a quote unquote good domain name?
0: Right. Well, you know, in general, shorter is better, right? If if you think about at a what we're trying to do at a high level, you're trying to come up with a name that's easy to remember, easy for people to type in, so that if you tell them, hey, check out my business XYZ, you know, here's our website, they can go find that easily, right? So keep that in mind as an overarching thing. So easy to spell is a key one here. And so what I recommend people do when they do finally come up with what they think are their names is take that out to five friends and say, Hey, here's the name of my business. Uh, how how do you spell it? Where would you go to find it? Right. And see if they can spell it back to you. So I know there were trends back in the day of dropping vowels and that sort of thing. Well, I can tell you because I know people who own, who owned the correct spelling of those businesses names that they got an awful lot of traffic from confused Ah, people. Right. right. Um, So easy to to spell, easy to remember. We call that the radio test that people can hear it and and type it out. And then you also, and this is a tricky one, you kind of want something that's not too limiting. So imagine if amazon.com was books.com you know, because they started selling books to begin with. Well, then they moved into a lot of other things It'd be kind of a weird name for them to have at this point. right? right and right, so right. that can be a challenge though, because you also want something that's kind of specific to it. So podcastguests.com is kind of limiting, but it's it very also specific yeah. benefit. Yeah. Like, you know, people find YouTube guests through the service too. So that's kind of, kind of weird and it's somewhat limiting, but there are also benefits to having something that's Uh, really succinct. It's like, oh, people know what they can get at podcastguests.com. Right.
1: Right. There's no need for a tagline to further explain
0: what the heck this is. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly.
1: But conversely, a broader name, a tagline is used to help people understand when they land there, it helps them understand, but they're not going to, it's not going to naturally be something they search for. Right, so so shorter is better. The spelling, I, I think that's a great takeaway to ask people to spell it. I've, I've often certainly asked people what did what does this mean to you when I say Amazon, but I hadn't thought about spell it for me to validate mm-hmm. that they can spell it the way I'm gonna have the domain it,
0: name. And some words too are easy to spell if you if you know what the word is, but it can it can be kind of hard when you hear it, right? You know, Good it can point, have so. kind of a weird. Uh, a, a weird sound to it, or, you know, it's two words, right, that are spelled differently, um, depending on the use, that sort of thing.
1: Right, right. Even if we make up a word, you know, I had mentioned, I think before we started recording, I worked for a company called Arriba, which is actually, it sounds like it's the Spanish word Arriba, which has two R's, but it was just one R. But it was a made up name just because of the sound. And they, you know, they went through a whole process and brought in an agency to help them pick the name. And a lot of times people would get confused. Is it two R's? Is it one R? Or maybe you could own both domains. We'll talk about that in a moment. But when you make up a name, because often that's where we're at, I'm finding, Andrew, is that you have mm-hmm. to kind of make up a name to add in there to find something that's still available.
0: Right. But the key is, is it pronounceable, right? Yes. And so if yes. I hear Ariba, I might, yeah, I, I might misspell that. And ideally you can have variations, but um, you know, that's something that at least it, kind of looks like how it sounds, right? Or it's spelled like how it sounds. Exactly,
1: exactly. So I got to keep that in mind. Okay, excellent. Um, And then let's talk about it needing to match my business name. I see a lot of disconnects there because maybe the domain name wasn't quite available. So I added a word or I added another component to it, but that's not my signage at my physical location or how I go to market. What are your thoughts there?
0: Yeah, it's, it's not ideal. So, you see this a lot when a company picks like a, gen, uh, a generic or, or a dictionary word that's really popular, right? And they'll add Git beforehand, or if it's an app, they'll put app at the end before mm-hmm. the dot com or whatever it is. It's not ideal. Um, but I see a lot of companies do it. So, it's become a little bit more expected. I, you know, the, the ideal world again is that you get that one word name or, or write whatever the name is but those can cost hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars and you might not be in that situation so my general advice is find something else um, but if if that's just not working out then i think git or uh, you know app or something like that on the end is is a common thing that people are doing so not ideal but it's not unusual as well i do think people will get confused right? So if you pick that one word name as your brand, and then you do get in front of it, you need to make sure you have really good Google search rankings. If that one word, you know, get example.com, if example.com ends up being used by a competitor, you're in really bad shape. I see. I see. Um, All right. We'll talk more about that. So
1: I touched on it, but what, what, how do you go about, or how do you advise other people go about the process of coming up with a name? What are your thoughts there?
0: Yeah, it, it is really a brainstorming process, as you mentioned. And uh, there are a number of tools out there that you can use some domain specific, not some not domain specific, but any sort of thesaurus out there will be good. There's one I like called, uh, I believe it's Word Hippo, um, where, you know, you kind of go down these rabbit holes, you put in a word that describes your business and then you start going to all these synonyms and you know, various other words to, to find them. Um, another tool I like, but I put a caveat next to it, is called Lean Domain Search. Hmm. And what this does is you put a word in leandomainsearch.com, and it pulls up all these variations. It takes those most common prefixes and suffixes, you know, the second words or first words of domain names, and puts them together. And in, in theory, it tells you which ones are available. But I found that in general, uh, it's not up to date. It's actually owned by the company that, that owns WordPress. I see. Um, but that would be another tool I'd look at. So crack open a thesaurus, ask your friends. You know, really nothing's off the table at this point. And it can right. be kind of fun, right? It's, it's a yes. brainstorm.
1: Yes, Absolutely.
0: And then one of the things I do it once I've got a list
1: narrowed down of a couple of contenders, I might go, if the domain name is available, because that's part of the vetting process is I'll go ahead and buy it for a year and hold it. And I can just let it go a year later. Sure. Thons, yeah, yeah. 10
0: bucks, 20 bucks. Yeah, no big deal. Yeah.
1: It's pretty cheap investment to lock it up for a year. If, if in fact I go, the other thing that we're not going to dive into today, but I've, I've done plenty of episodes on is, is checking the trademark. So I, I will also go to the federal trademark database and search to make sure that because somebody may not have the domain in use doesn't mean that that name may not be trademarked. So that's separately. I need to do that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So you touched on it and I know this is a depends question, but buying a domain that someone is holding, what are your thoughts
0: there? Well, so when I, when I, when I'm asked that question, I think a lot of people think, oh, it's going to cost a million dollars to write when it's already taken. But the reality is the median price that these domains sell for that are already taken is somewhere between two and five thousand dollars. I see. And that's not a whole lot when you think about starting up a business. And a lot of times the people will sell it to you and they'll let you pay it off over time, right? Like, okay, pay me a couple hundred dollars a month for a year and then the domain is yours. And so I tell people not to stop their search and move on to another domain if the domain is taken. A lot of times they're available for sale and they can be really easy to buy now too. Like if you go to GoDaddy and you type a domain in, they have millions of domains that other people own that you can buy just like you buy another domain, right? You just check out and then it's in your account. They automatically transfer it over for you as well. So it's easy. So I definitely say, don't stop your search just because the domain is taken. Now, if it's a one word.com domain, You need to be willing to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars potentially, or or even millions to acquire it. But especially these two word combination domains, a lot of times you can buy them for just a few thousand dollars. And a lot of people are like, that's ridiculous. They only cost $10 to register. (laughs) But again, when when you're looking at your business and the startup costs you have, and the fact that your domain name is with you forever, right? So let's amortize this out over, hopefully your business survives, right? Mm -hmm. So over five years, it really turns out into to be a very small expense.
1: Yeah, no, I, I'm glad to ask you the question because again, I, I just assumed, I mean, I knew they varied in prices, but it's a, it's a great perspective that you're sharing that that may well be quite worth it to invest in this brand. And if it's if this name is that valuable to communicating to prospective customers or clients, what you're about, and it's critical then it's worth that investment. I mean, again, you're going to spend you're going to spend a lot more than that with a
0: name that creates friction as to what the heck oh, you do, right? Absolutely. If you have to explain it, or worse, if every time you give your email address, you have to spell it out on the phone so that people can write it down. I mean, after you after you do that a hundred times, you're going to yeah. be wishing you'd spend a few thousand dollars on a domain that's right. it's easy to spell.
1: That's right. All right. Let me ask you. This is an urban myth, as I call it, that I've heard that I've never been able to substantiate, not that I've researched it, in that if I go to GoDaddy and start searching for particular names and I search too many times that they'll buy it and then try to sell it to me. Is there any truth to that in your
0: experience? No, there, there's not. And, and I know why this happens, right? And there were, a, especially at a reputable place like GoDaddy, you don't have to worry about that. What happens is that millions of domains are registered every month. And so sometimes you'll go out there and you know you start searching for something and then it's taken and you think, oh man, they were spying on me. Mm-hmm. Well, other people have these ideas too, and I've right. had it. People have reached out to me, and they're like, "I was searching just two weeks ago, and this domain was available, and now it's registered to you." And I'm like, "Yeah, well, you should have registered it then," yeah. you know. Yeah. And so, yeah, that that's an urban myth.
1: Yeah, it's, it's this assumption that we're we're the only ones that could possibly be searching for this <laughs> thing that's obvious. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks thanks for your, your thoughts on that. And that's sure. again, so many domains get sold on a daily basis. So it's not we're not yeah. the yeah. only I mean, ones out trying- there looking
0: to buy a domain. Right. Millions of of dot-com domains every month are registered. Yeah.
1: All right. So is it still all about the dot-com? Let's start with that question.
0: Yeah, that's a common question. So back almost 10 years ago, they started releasing all these different extensions that you've probably seen out there, dot XYZ, dot Guru. There's like dot plumbing or dot dot cloud, dot store. Uh, Yeah, there are all these extensions out there. And so I, I get this question a lot. And You know, it's really, look, that the simplest answer is that, well, .com is still the safest. And I say that this is a very uh, United States-centric thing. In a lot of countries, .com isn't primary. It's what they call their country code domain name, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Like in Germany, .de is actually more commonly used. That's their country code. Um, So I I would say it's the safest thing to do. And that if you're using something other than a .com, you have to be ready for some of that confusion. Um, people going to different extensions or, or emailing you at the dot com, that sort of thing. Um, but there, I think there are some use cases where those other extensions make sense. And we're seeing it too in some of these extensions that have become kind of adopted by communities. So nice. recently, if you're a web three, like blockchain company dot XYZ has become popular. So okay. people are used to seeing that on the end. A lot of tech companies use .io, which is actually a country code extension. And you know, what country is that an extension? Uh, it's, it's I think it's the British Indian Ocean Territories yes, or something right. like that. Like .tv is is actually Tuvalu, which is a, a tiny island nation, but it's been kind of co-opted or, or remarketed as hey, it's online video, that sort of thing. Right. And so you see those you see those options out there, and you see some big companies doing that, using them sometimes too. You just need to be prepared for some of that confusion that I mentioned earlier. And oh, by the way, sometimes uh, forms on the web, if they aren't coded properly, won't accept. If you're typing in your email address and it's at something dot you know contractor that's really long, they might say, "Oh, this isn't a domain name," and they won't accept it. Right? And so I hear mm-hmm. stories like that out there, and it gets back to. Still in this world here in 2022, especially in the United States, there's this assumption of .com. And so there are risks to using something else, but there can also be benefits. And that benefit could be getting a great domain, right, that ultimately is easy to remember if you go on one of these other extensions.
1: Now, one of the things that I've seen is the dot com may not be available, but it may or a variance may be available with a dot net. I've seen that be used over the last you know, however many years. Now, it could be that I get myself in trouble there if it's too close to someone's trademark and then they come after me, even though it was available. Talk to me about that potential exposure or am I OK with doing
0: that? Yeah. So there is, you know, there's there's this term cyber squatting. Um, which refers to registering a domain name that's really close to another brand or or matches their brand. Um, You know, if you go with the .net, someone has the .com. If it's in use, what are they using it for? A lot of this comes down to why did you choose that name? And if it had something to do with that big name brand, that's an issue for you. If it has to do with someone, if they have a trademark for that term, and it's relevant to what you're doing, that can create an issue as well. Right. So right. Apple's been, a big trademark infringement in that case. Yeah, it, exactly. And so the, but you know, you can be, you know, a lot of companies use the word lemonade for different things, right? right? One's an insurance company, but if you have a domain with lemonade in it and you're selling, you know, lemonade that that's not infringing on their trademark. Right. And so, you know, big example would be Amazon. If you're an Amazon tour guide company that you know, gives trips down the, the Amazon river, that's not infringing on amazon.com's trademark. That's right.
1: So you're probably okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, you to explain as the, you know, the trademark office is going to look at it. Would somebody reasonably mistaken what you're offering for what this established register brand is offering or trademark brand is offering? Right.
0: And I'm not an IP attorney, but I've read like over a thousand cyber squatting cases. And a lot of it comes down to intent. A lot of it comes down to the fame of, of the brand. Um, but, you know, it, if you're registering a .NET because the .com is taken, you need to think about how established, if there is actually a business working on the .com, you know, how established they are. And is that going to create confusion? Because I guarantee you a lot of people, when you tell them, email me at example.net, will email you at example.com. And Absolutely. is that going to be an issue for you? And so search
1: for you at example.com.
0: Right, right. And a lot of, you know, a lot of people say, hey, do domain names matter anymore because they're searching? People are going to Google to search. Good point. And I would argue absolutely, um, because A, a lot of people still type it in. B, you don't want Google to be your gatekeeper. Like if if you've got a, a two word name, but you don't have the right domain for it right? Then people depend on going to Google and then your competitors might be advertising. You might not have the first search result there. So you really don't want to have them do that extra step of going to Google and potentially finding your competitors.
1: Great point. Not to mention that Google is trying to keep them from keep keep visitors from even going to your website by summarizing what right. they think is the information you're searching for. right so now, even less traffic to your website, which is traffic that you own. Right. Yeah. I used to when I would buy a .com, would also buy the .org and the .net. That just kind of was what I was told was the best practice. What, what do you think? Because I'm, I'm not doing that anymore. But
0: what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, and, and and that's exactly it. That used to be the best practice because there weren't really a lot of domains that people could choose from. But now that there are, thousand, you know, over a thousand. It's impossible to register as a small business, your domain in every extension. So for now, that's not, that's not advice that I think is generally followed anymore, but it certainly was back in the day. Fair enough. Fair enough. How about
1: variants on my name? Like I own HenryLopez.com. Do I want HenryLopezSucks.com? Those kind of things. <laughs> yeah. worry about
0: that? What are your thoughts? You know, as you get bigger, you, you know, you see big companies registering sometimes thousands of variations, like even Amazon.com and they, uh, when they announce a new product, sometimes they'll out and register hundreds of variations to prevent people from cyber squatting on their brands. Um, You know, I would say for most small businesses, that's not a big concern. I will say if you have like a number in your domain name, like four or two, and maybe it's T-O, you might want to go ahead and get the spelling of that as well. Like, Uh, you know, T-W-O for the number two, and then also the variation of T-O, that sort of thing. Um, But beyond that, I would say for most small businesses, assuming you pick something that is easy to spell, easy to remember... Um that's not it's not the first thing I would do. Maybe, maybe a couple of years down the road you might want to look yeah, at that. Yeah.
1: Like we mentioned with maybe with the Reba, I might own a domain with the one R, another one with the double R, and then that right. redirects to the to where it's supposed to go. Yeah. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Anyway. All right. So explain to me. We've been talking about buying domains, but we're actually renting or licensing yet. So explain how that works at a high level.
0: Right. So you go to a domain name registrar, GoDaddy being the biggest one, people might use Namecheap. You can also get them from Google. Google has its own domain name registrar and you register a domain name through them and then you're paying an annual fee for it. Sometimes you pay these all up in front. You can do 10 years at a time, that sort of thing. And what that company is doing is they're kind of maintaining that domain for you And then to go one level further, they're going and reserving it with whoever manages that, what we call top level domain. So .com, .net, .guru, they go kind of reserve it from them. But really, you work with your registrar, you pay them an annual fee. It's super important to renew your domain name and make sure you have the right credit card on file. I recommend if it's a key domain for your company, register it out to you, know, you can register these 10 years in advance, go ahead every year, go in there and top it up a year and keep it for, for 10 years. The cost of a domain name, especially those annual renewal fees compared to the value of your business is, is fairly nominal, right? It's a lot less than your hosting bill and, and everything else. So go ahead and reserve that out uh, for a while. Yeah. I mean, I, I, in my
1: research and experience Certainly well under $20 a year, probably in more like in the 15 to as cheap as a few bucks a year. And I have all of mine on auto renew. And, and of course, I happen to use uh, GoDaddy for most of them. They do a pretty good job of, of alerting you when something is about to expire. Um, almost ad nauseum because you got to make sure your yeah. email addresses are up to date and all that good stuff.
0: Right, right. And some of that they're 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 kind of regulated entities, and they have to remind you to renew your domain on certain intervals. But what happens is that you might that email address that you have on on file with them might not be one you check frequently, or That's you right, stop right. using it, or something along those lines. And so that can happen. Um, and so it's really important to make sure your credit card's up to date. You know, they do expire or it gets stolen. Make sure that's up to date. And then even if you have auto renew on, um, just check from time to time and make sure that it, it's actually up to date and, you know, at least do it two years in advance, right? That way, that way if you check in on it each year, it's not going to be like, oops, you know, I, I missed, it's too late. And when domains expire, they get snapped up in milliseconds, right. if anything, right? So- you need to know that it's not like if I let my domain expire, unless it's a really bad domain, it's not like it can go back a, you know, a month later and register it.
1: Are there people out there that that are able to know that, in fact, I probably let it expire by mistake and they're out there purposely then cyber squatting on it? Or well, not by mistake. They're taking it.
0: Not by mistake, I would say, but when a domain expires, people, you know, GoDaddy auctions them off and other sites auction them off. And then there are other people when they fully expire that go snap them up the second they, they expire. And it's not because they're like, oh, Henry forgot to renew their domain, his okay. domain. It's like, hey, this is a good domain There's that a, a company might want to use, right? Um, and then they go list it for sale for, you know, it could be that two to $5,000 number I mentioned before, but it could be a lot more depending on, on what the name is. Like I've acquired, I acquired shortbread.com when it expired Mm. and I paid over $10,000 for that because I'm like, okay, this is a good name that, you know, it's uh, some company will want to brand by this. They may or may not sell shortbread, which is a delicious cookie, but you know, people have this good connotation with it. So they might want to use it in the future. It's like warm
1: warm sugar or something like that in that that category.
0: All right. So speaking of domain
1: registrars, that's what these companies like GoDaddy and others are called. Any further tips on what to look for? Uh, Obviously you want to go with one of the known
0: entities, right?
1: Yeah. I think what are your thoughts? um, Yeah.
0: So, so the number one, most important thing is the security of your domain name, right? So you don't want to go by with some fly by night entity um, they are all, as I mentioned earlier, they're regulated by the, this group that's called ICAN, is the uh, acronym for it. But, but a lot of times, you know, there there are a couple thousand of these out there, right? And so, a lot of times, they will go kind of bankrupt, or you know, a registrar will have an issue. So, going with a known entity is a good idea. Um, price is a secondary factor to that security standpoint, and the fact that you can get someone on the phone or via email support pretty quickly if you need to. Um, but if you're going to have a lot of domains, price certainly matters. Um, you know, GoDaddy's list prices are not what I pay and they're not what people that own a lot of domains pay. You can join this discount club where you get I see. a significant discount on them. And then there are lots of other great registrars out there that have really cheap prices and, and are good, but you might not have heard of them. So um, pork bun, Dot com is, is one of my <laughs> favorites because they've got good prices, good support. Um, there's Dynadot, uh, which also has good prices. And so there are a number of different companies out there where you can go. But yeah, I'd find one that you feel comfortable with and definitely don't go with one just because of price. Just because of price. Yeah. And the other thing is like one of the reasons and I'm
1: not 100 percent fan of GoDaddy but it but it has provided for me I have issues with support sometimes sure but it's also where I have my hosted WordPress so they offer mm-hmm. that for me as well so there's a that convenience although that doesn't have to live in the same site there certainly is convenience there I think
0: yeah, it is convenient because if you host your site somewhere else, then you're gonna have to go in and make a couple changes that might be technical to you, which is, mm-hmm. you know, changing where your domain name points. So there there, there is a convenience factor there. Um, you know, another thing about a company like GoDaddy, yeah, their support isn't always perfect. I've had my issues, but the fact that you can get someone on the phone and you can escalate is is kind of a, a big plus. Yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, you can host at the same place. It does. Uh, that your domain registrar like GoDaddy, you can also choose to use a, a different web host. Yeah.
1: All right. Let's talk about some of the threats or scams and things we've talked about cyber squatting,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but um, domain name theft. And so when, when do I need to, or how do I protect myself? And when can that happen to me?
0: Yeah. So domain name theft, I- I, I generally think of it as rampant, but really I'm writing about these these extreme cases. Usually it's if you have a really valuable domain name and someone will try to hack into your domain registrar account and steal that. Um, oftentimes their entry point is your email. If they can hack into your email, then they get access to basically all of your accounts everywhere, right? right. So a recommendation there is to use two-factor authentication on your email. So on Gmail, two-factor means... Basically, you enter your password, then you have to enter a second code. And that could be something through an app on your phone, or they have these physical keys. And registrars also offer that. Make sure your domain registrar does. GoDaddy does. So when I log in there, I have to put in a secondary code. Um, So that'll really help you out on that. And then just make sure that the email address tied to your domain is one that you control. So if you do change that over time, let's say you're using an old AOL account and you upgrade to Gmail, make sure you keep that AOL account um, so that you have access to that. Um, so that is, that is kind of the primary th- quick overview on how to protect yourself domain name theft wise. Yeah. appreciate that. And then you had written a blog post
1: about this, uh, I don't know, a while back maybe about DNS abuse. Now, I don't want to get too technical on what the heck DNS abuse is, but share that story about that you experienced about somebody filing a complaint against you.
0: Right. Yeah. So I had someone, this was a couple of years ago, who filed a complaint with my web host saying that I was sending spam and they took down all of my sites without explanation. And it uh, turns out that someone had sent a spam email to someone. And for some reason, they copied and pasted. Like my homepage into it. I think they were trying to get around a spam filter by having all this other stuff in the email, and that host took my sites down. Now, you and know, really, the, of, the
1: the perpetrator was hijacking your credibility
0: to get through to this person. Right. Yeah. Right. And you know, the you know, my advice there. I struggle with this is. Pick a host that's going to be smarter than that, right? right. I mean, anyone looking at this email would be like, mm-hmm. um, "Okay, this is obviously not the site." And and really just a host that that will work with you on an issue rather than just immediately, you know, doing taking the nuclear option as we say, you know, taking it all the way down. So that would you know, there, there's not a whole lot you can do on that front. But there there are a couple scams if I can just mention briefly because Please. I hear from people all the time about these. One of them is what we call the Chinese IP scam, and this is you get an email that says, "Hi, we noticed that someone was uh, someone came to us and wanted to register, and it's basically exactly your domain in .cn or some you know Chinese domain extension. Um, but before we did it, we noticed that you use the .com, and so we wanted to offer it to you. And basically, they're trying to get you to pay them a couple hundred dollars to register the domain. I don't even know if they end up registering it once you pay them, but." That's a really common one. It almost always comes from someone purporting to be in China for some reason. The other one is the appraisal scam. And this is where someone comes to you and says, hey, I really want to buy your domain name. Um, I'll give you $20,000 for it. And you're like, heck yeah. And then they write back and they're like, okay, so before we do that, you know, for business purposes, I need to have a record of the value of the domain. So you need to get a domain appraisal. And you know, I'll only accept an appraisal from this particular company. You're like, okay, well, for twenty thousand dollars, yeah, okay, I'll go here and sure. buy this appraisal. Well, that appraisal company is really the scammers, yeah. And so they're getting a couple hundred dollars out of you for this appraisal, and then as soon as you get that appraisal, they're gone, right? They're gone. They stop yeah. responding. So well. those are the two most common that I see, and so those are two to two to be aware of.
1: Fantastic, thank you for sharing that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: All right, we'll start to wrap it up, Andrew. Thanks for for indulging me with all those questions and and keeping it so brilliantly from a business level perspective so that we can understand it. Absolutely. Um, So thanks for that. I'm always looking for a book recommendation. Is there a book that comes to mind that you would recommend?
0: Yeah, one of my favorites is The Paradox of Choice by Barry Schwartz. And it's a behavioral economics book looking at when you have too many choices, people make no choice at all. And so I think when we have a business And we think about kind of at a, at a high level, if you offer too many options, people are less likely to buy anything. And so that's kind of the key takeaway from that book.
1: Brilliant. Yeah. It's such, such a good takeaway and it applies. We talked about it at the outset for the reason for niching down, at least initially, uh, menu offerings, but uh, too many choices paralyze people.
0: Yeah. If you you have 10 packages versus three, people are less likely to buy any package than if you just had three
1: because they, they can, well, which is the best choice? What, what do I do? It's I do yeah. nothing. Thanks. Thanks for that recommendation. Mm-hmm. What's one thing you want us to take away from this conversation we had about domain, domain names from a business owner's perspective? What's one thing you want us to take?
0: Yeah, I would say don't stop your search just because the domain name is taken because there's a good chance, as long as it's not being used, that you'll be able to buy that domain name. And it might be a lot less money than, than you'd expect. Brilliant. Where do you want us to go online to learn more? Well, if you want to geek out over domain names, you can come to DomainNameWire.com and check out the posts there. And uh, my other business that we mentioned, PodcastGuests.com. Check that out. And uh, you can reach me there as well.
1: Yeah. So, so ideally, DomainWire.com, who, who's the, uh, who is that a resource for ideally?
0: I'd say that's web techies, people that are really interested in domains. And then also people that are interested in potentially buying domains as an investment. Um, that'd be a really good resource for them too. There are thousands of people out there that collect domains and, and sell them. And so they're one of my uh, common readers.
1: Yeah. And podcastguest.com I think is obvious, but again, there, there's two sides to it, right? I, I, me, I, yeah. I use your service as a podcaster looking for guests, but if I want to get on shows, it's a resource as well, right? Exactly, exactly. Excellent. The great conversation, Andrew. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with me today and sharing your knowledge. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for joining me on this episode of The Howa Business. My guest today, again, was Andrew Oliman. I release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find a show anywhere you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at my website, thehowabusiness.com. Thanks for listening.